Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. Joining me today is one half of the Car Stuff team, Scott Benjamin. Scott, welcome back to the show. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great. We were going to have Ben Bowen in here, too, but... Ben's a man in high demand. He really is. He's uh, he's taken over the whole video segment of our uh, of our uh, empire. Well, yeah, yeah, the empire, I guess, yeah. is growing, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy to be here as always, and I'm excited about today's topic too. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it today. And and I should add, Ben totally wanted to be here. He was just. He had like 18 things on his calendar today. And as someone who had that yesterday, I totally understand. Oh, yeah, we get it. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about uh, a little more in, in depth about some of the technology that was on display at CES 2016, specifically in regards to cars, which is why I got Scott onto the show here to kind of gauge his reactions and maybe even hear your insight on some of this stuff. Well, you know, I, I've read about it. Now, you were at the show, of course. Yeah. You saw the stuff firsthand. A lot of it, yeah. Um, a lot of this is just me looking at reviews of, you know, what everybody else has written about this stuff. Sure. So, uh, I'm getting, a, you know, a different view of the whole thing. I don't get the hands-on experience, but um, I'll do my best to try to keep up with you. But 
really the reaction maybe more what you're going for here because uh, we've got opinions both yeah. ways about this. I mean, yeah. I, I know that your listeners have heard us. Uh, I guess butt heads on a couple of these issues in the past, right? <laughs> or, or at least they heard that one very special episode where I I, I pulled the rug out from under you. And, oh yeah, uh, I, I still have nightmares. That was the one where I think I think the question was Scott. I'm going to give you a scenario that in like ten years it's illegal to drive a car, and then <laughs> and then I watched your you you just kind of wilt. It was a slow boil. Yeah, from that point on. Yeah, so. One of the things I want to just mention right off the top before going into any specifics is that uh, the the car industry has always played a part in CES as long as I have been going. This was my eighth year going. And uh, typically the North Hall of the Convention Center is where you'll find the car tech stuff. Occasionally there'll be some things out in the, the actual parking lots that are around the convention center to show practical demonstrations of stuff like driver assist technologies, that sort of thing. But... Typically, most of the the, the uh, exhibits are inside, so they're static displays. They're not, you know, you're not going to get in the car and drive around or anything. Uh, but I've noticed that the trend has been growing year over year. That that we're seeing more and more car technologies make their way into the show floor, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I get that they're consumer technology. But often when I hear consumer technology, I'm thinking of smaller things, things smaller than a vehicle. Yeah. Right. Like maybe as big as like a refrigerator, but mostly I'm thinking of things in the television stereo system world, not things that you park in a garage. Well, you know, sometimes they get around this by just bringing in maybe the uh, the, the cockpit, the, the driver yeah. cockpit and yeah. the seat. Right. Uh, that is, you know integral to whatever they're trying to show or display. And and that's enough. But sometimes they want to bring the whole vehicle because it's a whole package now mm-hmm. at this point. Everything is connected to everything else, and they want to show you how it all works together and how it feels when you're actually in their, their true-to-life product that they're going to be coming out with soon. And, in fact, I, I noticed that there were a couple of... Um, a couple of early reveals that happened at this show that, uh, yeah. that I just wanted to mention. They brought uh, well, Chevrolet brought two brand new vehicles for. Uh, well, actually, they aren't going to be out until the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. And this was really weird to me. They brought out the 2017 Chevy Bolt, yep, which is the hatchback or the smaller version of the uh, the Chevy Volt, I guess, yep. the, the updated version. And uh, it, it's kind. Of, it wasn't really a reveal. It sort of was. They wanted to show off the whole technology, the whole vehicle, but. Later, they took it to the Detroit Auto, Sh- Auto Show, the I guess the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. Right. And then that's where they officially revealed that vehicle, even though everybody it, at CES had already seen it. Yeah, it had been, it'd been shown off like a week and a half earlier. Yeah, and similar with the uh, the Chevy Cruze hatchback. And mm. I think that they wanted to show some of their safety technologies and some of their uh, their advanced technologies that they were going to be uh, bringing out in about, what, about a year now at this mm-hmm. point? A year right. and a half, something like that? Uh, so interesting how they would really reveal them to the public there and then give them the official reveal, you know, where they pull off, you know, they do the dramatic uh, yanking off of the cover or, you know, have it drive out on stage at the uh, Detroit show. Yeah, it's interesting to see CES play home to that sort of announcement or or non-announcement almost where you do get this early look at stuff that normally would be reserved for an auto show or or even just a press event for that specific company. Um, it, it's kind of showing how CES and cars are meshing together. In fact, that's going to be a theme throughout this episode is about how we're seeing sort of high-tech stuff 
outside of the direct control of an automobile make its way into the vehicle. Yeah, and some things you wouldn't expect to see in an automobile that do make its way into that automobile. Like, yeah. uh, generally, it's apps and things like that. Sure. We get it. But there's some hardware changes and uh, some other surprising things along the way, too. Right. And, and the, the first thing I want to start off with, Scott, is talking about Toyota. I want to get that out of the way. So, uh, first of all, full disclosure, I was there at CES partially uh, in my role as host of Forward Thinking, which is sponsored by Toyota. Mm-hmm. This show is not sponsored by Toyota, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, so, they had a, a presentation that they were calling Moving Safely into Future Mobility. And it was all really about artificial intelligence. Now, in 2015... Uh, it was announced that Toyota was going to fund two, well, at least to start with, two different research facilities, one near Stanford, one near MIT, dedicated to researching artificial intelligence, specifically in regards to uh, automotive industry, but beyond that as well. And then it was announced that they were going to put in a billion dollars over the next five years into these two research facilities. And they're they're actually working on two different things. So the Stanford group is working on something where you are trying to eliminate uncertainty in AI. And by that, what they mean is, Scott, you're, you're driving your car. You're driving down uh, at highway speeds on a highway, and there's a you notice that the car in front of you, uh, that uh, it's got some barrels in the bed of a truck, and one of the barrels happens to, to fly out, and you have a time to react so you manage to swerve out of the way. You as a human being, you're able to recognize this, extrapolate from past experience, kind of know because you know the car and know the road. You know sort of what you can do, what's within your uh, abilities to do in reaction to something like that. The thing that the Stanford folks are working on is how do you program that kind of ability into artificial intelligence? Because machines are really good at reacting in a specific way to specific scenarios. So in other words, you could program in, all right, if a bicyclist swerves into your lane, then you slow down. Like You have the if this, then that. Mm-hmm. But you can't anticipate everything. So this is like a split-second reaction. Uh, um, everything that goes into a human split-second reaction is what they have to some kind of find some kind of way to develop uh, for their own AI system to yeah. recognize and react the proper way so that it, what? Well, here's the here's the question, though. Does it react to, to preserve the lives of the people that are in the car? Does it re- uh, react to preserve the lives of the people that maybe are walking on the sidewalk? This is the uh, classic yeah. trolley See, problem. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So who does who does the system protect? Does it protect the, the driver of the vehicle or does it protect the people around surrounding that vehicle? And that's and that's one of the questions that has to be asked, right? Yeah. Like how how you know, knowing that there's going to be ultimately at some point a scenario where a car will have to quote unquote decide to do something that is going to put someone in harm's way. How do you determine what how the car will will make that decision. And uh, that's that's part of it, is just this idea of you can program AI to handle the mundane situations of driving really well. We we have pretty much got that down, right? The yeah, idea- manufacturers are, are essentially doing that now. They just can't legally say that you're allowed to operate that vehicle without a driver in the driver's seat. Right. So... Under normal operating conditions, so a normal day, uh, like uh, in, a, in a temperate area, so we're not talking about weather conditions like ice or snow. Uh, we're not talking about you know uh, 
traffic system where maybe the the traffic lights are on the blink. Uh, that could obviously cause issues with a car that is designed to wait until a green light comes up, that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, but under normal operating conditions, they're very safe. The point that Toyota was making is that that's not the way the world works. And that you could argue that right now we have a million-mile safety record with autonomous cars just because that's the number of miles autonomous cars have traveled collectively. But they argue that we really need a trillion-mile safety uh, record to prove that autonomous cars are safe enough for us to hand over control to machines and not be at least partially in control. Well, that's part of the reason we always see this uh, this decade outdate where they say, uh, we're going to have this ready by 2025 or 2030 in yeah. some cases. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't even plan to have anything fully autonomous in, until 15 years from now, but we're going to do these uh, these incremental steps along the way so that in 10 years, we're going to have one that's pretty good. It's yeah. nearly there. And so that's exactly what Toyota is saying, that they want to have... Uh, focus on driver assist systems where the AI can come in and help out if something extraordinary happens or if something happens outside of your awareness uh, and help you avoid an accident, but it doesn't completely take over for the driver. Now, check me if I'm wrong here, but I saw a uh, just a little video clip of a display that was happening at one of the Toyota booths, and I don't know if this is uh, tied into with, with this exactly, but mm-hmm. they had almost look, what looked like a fish tank. It was a big uh, area uh, with a table. Yes, and, and they had the a lot cars. Of, yeah, they had a lot of miniature, you know, scale model cars. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were Prius cars or what they were, but mm-hmm. uh, they were rolling around, and I guess when they initially kind of released all these cars, maybe 10 or 12 cars into this uh, this this box, this glass box, uh, they were all bumping into each other, and it was just kind of chaos. Mm-hmm. And the cars were then learning how to drive around each other without colliding with it, with objects that were in the uh, display and the and other vehicles. And uh, by the end of the demonstration, or at least when they were showing this video clip, or when they were recording this clip, uh, the cars were not colliding at all. They weren't touching. They were, uh, you know, sensing each other and moving to make some, you know, making some kind of avoidance maneuver. Sure. Uh, in a in a smart way, so yeah. that they didn't bump into another vehicle or another object or the wall or whatever. It was just it was a it was a clever way to show that. Yeah, it was neat because again, they you know, Toyota had a couple of vehicles on the show floor, but this was a way of showing off this technology. Uh, in a a live setting that still didn't require you to actually go outside and see a bunch of Priuses kind of pirouette around each other. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because I got a good look at this. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of a grid, and each car had its own route that it had to go along. And at first, it was trying to go along this route not really caring what the other cars in the, in the in the area were trying to do, and that's where they were having these little collisions and stuff and figuring things out. Yeah, sure. My neighbor drives like that. Nice. <laughs> and when the learning algorithm kicked in, then they were able to start, uh, you know, pausing to let another car go in front of them before or cross in front of them before they went, and uh, it became this very intricate almost like a dance that you could watch. And uh, they had a, a video streaming in the background explaining the whole process, that this was a machine learning algorithm that would be applied on a much grander scale to technology that would find its way in cars down the road. Yeah, it's almost like a... Like a, uh, a fish school mentality, you know, like they all yeah. move one way together and it's all fluid and there's not really much fish colliding all the time. You know, they, they all know where the other one's like going. It's like they're they maintaining that distance. Yeah, it's, it seems it seems like that. It looks like that when you see it happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually pretty, it's actually pretty cool to watch. Like I got to watch it 
for a really long time as <laughs> we were setting up a shot. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, it was neat seeing how these were working. And in fact, uh, one of the people from Toyota said, yeah, some of our competitors were coming in to make sure that it wasn't like remote controlled vehicles that was all actually autonomous. And, and in fact, it was autonomous. Oh, that's it was just, really cool. Just little, little bitty model cars. Yeah. You know, one thing is this, uh, that you sent me a, a, an article here, at least uh, from the New York Times, yeah. uh, that, that mentions this, you know, Toyota investment of $1 billion in artificial intelligence here in the United States. And it said, and I thought this was pretty interesting, that artificial intelligence technologies were disappointing for decades. And yeah. I've never really thought of them as disappointing. I mean, I, I see them incrementally growing, you know, getting better. Yeah. But I never really saw them uh, as being disappointing. I think part of it is that there is the the public expectation of what artificial intelligence is. Mm-hmm. Versus the actual definition of artificial intelligence. So if you if you look at artificial intelligence as being a very broad spectrum that encompasses a ton of stuff, and on on the the simplest level, it's on the the uh, idea of sensing a change in the environment and being able to react to it. That's the type of artificial intelligence. And on, of course, the far end of the spectrum is human-like or superhuman intelligence, which obviously we have not really achieved. Um, but you know, a lot of people think that that superhuman or human-like intelligence is the definition of AI. They don't realize necessarily that artificial intelligence means lots of different stuff. Well, just to give you an example, I mean, th- this article in particular mentions Siri as a, as a tremendous advancement yeah. uh, in, in artificial intelligence. Now, I, I know that you've probably talked about this at length on sure. the show, but I can kind of understand that that's like uh, finally uh, the general populace, I guess, is right. getting a chance to kind of uh, kind of toy with this a little bit and see what it can do, what it's capable of. And I know it's a... It's, <sighs> I don't know. I, I have trouble calling it true artificial intelligence. Yeah, no, it's 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 voice recognition, which is already impressive. Yeah, right. And then it's 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 pairing that with uh, an ability to execute on certain apps or do searches. But then you think about it: if you're going to call Siri artificial intelligence, you might as well call a Google search artificial intelligence yeah. because. Siri is just really a new way to interface with a system that's been in place for several years. Exactly. Now, okay, so, but we're seeing more and more stuff like Siri yeah. implemented into automobiles yes. with voice recognition. Yeah, we'll be talking and, a lot about that. And to be able to control certain things in the car, which are which are getting far more advanced than they were even last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the interaction, the level of interaction. I mean, I, I, I got to say, I've never really been all that impressed with uh, any of these apps that you can have on your phone that maybe turn on the lights in your living room. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, you can adjust your thermostat. Like, Scott, I, you I say that. get it. You say that, but until you convince your loved ones that your house is haunted because you are using the app while you're at work to turn <laughs> the lights on and off, you really haven't lived. I see, I see. So it's, uh, <laughs> so it's good for practical jokers, too. Uh, yeah, no, I've... I've been guilty of that. I've turned the lights off on my wife while I was at work. <laughs> That's a pretty funny trick. You know, honestly, like I've, what we're going to cover here today, yeah. it goes far beyond that. I mean, because yeah. again, like I said, I'm not, I haven't really been all that, you know, wowed by this stuff up until this point. Uh, now, now it seems like you can really talk to this thing and make it do what you really want. I mean, and there's uh, far-reaching implications with that. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's really cool that, I mean, that was one of the, the really big stories this year at CES was that this sort of connected car technology is really starting to make sense, right? It's It's gone beyond 
it made me think of the way smart TVs were when they first came out. Smart TVs, when they first came out, you get a widget on your screen. Mm-hmm. And it would tell you, you know, what the temperature was outside and how likely is it going to rain. And it wasn't very attractive. It wasn't very useful. And often it was difficult to navigate around these systems because it was more like, hey, we can put Internet content on a television. Let's go ahead and do that before we figure out what's the best way to incorporate it so that the experience is a positive one. Uh, and I think cars have had the same thing. They are getting there now, I'll tell you, because this uh, this whole Ford uh, Alexa thing that you've yes. mentioned, uh, this is one of the topics that you wanted to talk about. So yes. do you mind if we go to that right Let's now? Let's do it. All right, so Ford is kind of uh, working with um, Echo yep. and, and Alexa, and, uh, and they're incorporating this into their already existing Sync program. And I think they're at the third generation of the Sync program for their cars. Right? Yeah. How do you know if Sync program is the right way to say that? Uh, Sync platform. Platform. That's yeah. a better way. So uh, you can go to you know, Ford.com and check out what Sync will do. But I'll tell you that the, this next level where they've taken it, the way they've integrated everything that Sync will do, with uh, Echo and with Alexa, so that's like the, uh, is it a personal assistant, or what do they call that? Yeah, they call them, now they're calling them voice concierge. Ah, voice concierge. So I was reading an article about this from uh, Jalopnik, mm-hmm. and it's a car site, and one of the things, and this impressed me, it, it's not just turn the lights on and, or, you know, right. uh, set the set the temperature. It says, you know, you can you can, from your car on the way home, you can say... Alexa, turn the kitchen lights on, open the garage door, heat the oven to 400 degrees, and turn on a baseball game. So when you get home, all mm-hmm. the stuff is ready to go. It's all set to go. Yep. And, and Mercedes-Benz is working with, uh, with Nest mm-hmm. to do something very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other auto manufacturers are working with different companies to do similar things. One of them is working with Microsoft and has Cortana, which is Microsoft's version of a voice concierge, incorporating that. We'll get to that in a little bit, yeah. too. And, and you, can, you can set start times for your car. So here's the usual routine. You know, you've got the automatic start that you know, the manufacturer builds into the system. That's, that's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. But you still, and I, I I know this sounds kind of silly, but you still have to, you know, go near the window, I guess, and look at your car and, and push the button and know that, sure. you know, the previous night you turned the heat on high and the defroster on and all that stuff. And it sets or, you know, some manufacturers probably have settings that automatically do that. But you, you have some type of physical interaction you have to do with your car in the morning. You have to remember, I'm going to turn that on 10 minutes before I go out. Right. So it's freezing cold. Clear, clear off the frost on the windshield. Uh, make sure the the car is a nice temperature before I get in. Exactly. It's yeah. all about comfort, right? Yeah. So this system, this this new Ford uh, Alexa Echo system, mm-hmm. will allow you to set a time. Like on, on Monday morning, I want the car to start at 5.45 a.m. I want the interior temperature to be 75 degrees. Um, I want, uh, you know, whatever. You could, you could adjust the, you could turn the radio station to whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can program all that in days ahead of time. It's like setting a schedule for your car. My question is with that, though, what if things change and, and you forget to do that? Then your car is running out in the driveway for you know an hour and a half or whatever before you remember that it's actually running. I would imagine that uh, assuming you're having this work with the Echo, which is essentially a speaker that has a microphone uh, embedded in it, so you can speak into it, it can talk back to you. Uh, I would imagine a fail-safe would be to have the speaker chime or otherwise alert you that your car has been running but hasn't been doing anything after a certain amount of time has passed, like maybe five minutes. That's that's That would be my solution to that problem. But it's, it is something that obviously you have to think about when you're trying to implement these kind of approaches into uh, the automobile industry. I mean, this is stuff that we've seen in smart homes to some degree or another. And to see it kind of creep into cars, you know, uh, hopefully – 
people are taking lessons they've learned from the other implementations and trying to figure out the best practices when applying it to cars. Yeah, sure. And, you know, you can schedule uh, service reminders and things like that. Now, that's not anything new because cars can do that kind of on their own. You can program yeah. that in for just a date. But they can also detect if there's, you know, um, um, something missing out of your refrigerator. So let's say that you're at the uh, grocery store mm-hmm. and you're in your connected car and you've got your connected home and yeah. your device that, uh, you know, interfaces between the two of them. You're in the grocery store parking lot, though, and you don't remember if you have milk. Right. And you can you can now check while you're in the car at the grocery store. Yeah. You can check to see if you have milk in the fridge at home mm-hmm. without having to have somebody there to say, yeah, pick up a gallon of milk on the way home. Right. So this, this does require, obviously, that you have uh, various smart appliances to, to network well, together, right? Well, sure. If, yeah, if it's just a regular old fridge or, or a keganator, as, <laughs> as as we might have back at home, uh, it's not going to be able to, to chime up. But, yeah, it's this interconnectivity. And, in fact, that's one of the big... Uh, assets that Amazon has is the Echo can work with lots of other different uh, home automation products, not even not just ones from one company, which is a huge deal, Scott. I can't tell you how big a deal this is to have a connected home. Like in the early days, everyone was trying to make sure their approach was going to become the standard approach which meant that there was no standard. You had a bunch of proprietary approaches that wouldn't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So products like the uh, Echo and some apps that I've seen are finally getting to the point where you can interface with different products from different companies so you don't have to buy in on just one system. If you happen to like one manufacturer's uh, refrigerator, let's say you like Whirlpool and you really want the newest smart Whirlpool fridge, which, by the way, I've seen, and it's pretty sweet. If you wanted one of those, uh, but you wanted to have your other devices from a different manufacturer, it'd be difficult to have them all talking to each other. Uh, but something like the Echo can act like a hub, and then your car becomes an extension of that hub, and that's where you can do things like check to see if, like, if, if when was the last time I bought milk? So, oh, it was two weeks ago. Like, oh, i got to buy milk. You know, <laughs> that kind And of that's thing. the whole reason we're talking about it today, because they're adding the automobile to this whole mix. That, yeah. You know, you can, it's now completely mobile you can really you can really truly control your home from your car and you can do a lot of things in your car from home as well i mean yeah. it's things that you just wouldn't think that you would normally need I mean, it's 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 all luxury i love the idea of it too like some of it it's definitely luxury but some of it is incredibly helpful for people who are both absent-minded and a little ocd so i don't know scott if you've ever experienced this but my wife and i when we go out anywhere, there will come a time, usually when we're about a mile and a half away from home, when the question, was the front door locked? Uh-huh. Or did the garage door come all the way down? Or was the oven on? Something, Some variation of that will be asked. And then ultimately what has to happen is a return trip home before we ever get to our destination. And Alexa, one of the things it can do is it can tell you. And... Presumably, at least in future uh, implementations, it can even correct things if they are incorrect. Like if you say, "Hey, is the front door locked?" No, it's not. It's it's unlocked. Can you lock the front door for me? Yes. Click, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Very smart. Now I want to show you something, and this is only your benefit, not the listener's benefit. Uh But see this page? Yeah. Where I have the word "yes" with two exclamation points? Yeah. I have underlined the line that says, asking, for example, whether the garage door is closed. <laughs> I Every time I leave my house, I look at the garage door, make sure it's closed, uh-huh. and, I, and I say to my, I whisper to myself, 
the garage door is closed. Yeah. And so, it's like a little routine. It's a pattern I have. And if I if I ever leave without doing that, I have to return and make sure that that garage door is closed because I got a lot of valuable stuff in there. My tools. Yeah. I got my project car in there. Who knows what else is in there? But yeah. bicycles, things like that. Um, see, see, for us, not only do we have stuff that's valuable in our garage, but that's a direct route into our house. And so That's true. And, I, and, and so it's where all our other stuff happens to be. Yeah. And so, so you mean when you walked out the door, you didn't say the garage door is locked? We actually say, yeah, we say, we say door is down. That is, that is the, that is the key phrase. And I am not joking. If we pull out of our home area and neither of us have said door is down, there will come a point where my wife will say, did the garage door go down? And because I don't want to lie to my wife, mm-hmm. like I want to get to where I'm going. But I never want to get to where I'm going more than I want to, you know, like th- that's never so great that I will lie. I'll say, I don't know. I Let me turn around and go look. I am sometimes ridiculed for my uh, my whispering of the garage door is down. It's it, when you Our say it. The garage door is closed. Yeah, when, when you say it and, and you've you've got that like, all right, that chapter is closed. Now a new <laughs> chapter can begin. This is the journey chapter. Isn't it funny? I know people have uh, th- this type of thing. And it's very low-level OCD. I, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I get it. But I know people have this for all kinds of items in their house, sure. in their automobile. This really does smooth out some of that. Yeah. I mean, how helpful well, would that be if you're 10 miles away and you can check to make sure that stupid garage door is down? Or, or even close locked. it otherwise, right? Yes. Yeah. Or you didn't leave the uh, the dishwasher on or something while you're right. gone because your fear of uh, you know flooding the kitchen or sure. whatever. And, and, and the best thing, Scott, absolute best thing. Alexa will never mock you for it, (laughs) ever. That is probably the best part of the whole thing. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So moving on to some of the other uh, manufacturers that we saw, uh, we stopped by Volkswagen. Yes. And uh, so, of course, Volkswagen obviously still in the wake of the PR disaster that was the clean diesel scandal. Sure. So they, were they uh, trotting out their latest diesel technology? They, oddly enough, left that off the show floor. Well, that is an interesting move. Yeah. They instead decided to show off a, an electric vehicle concept design called the Buddy. <laughs> B-U-D-D-E. Polly Shore. Yeah. I did that on a previous CES episode and got a lot of people saying, I know who Polly Shore is. Thank you for the Polly Shore reference. But yeah, the Buddy electric vehicle concept, which uh, it's kind of funny. It, it relates in a way to another car that we'll talk about, the FF01. And I know that you and Ben covered Faraday Futures FF01 in an episode, right? We did. Yes, we had so, a whole episode about it. So uh, in a similar way to what that concept was, Volkswagen's idea was to create a sort of modular approach to designing electric vehicles. And so this was really just a representation of that idea. That being said, it kind of had this sort of quirky, retro, futuristic design to it. Very angular, very uh, uh, odd-looking, but well, I, I really dug it. Do you think it, I mean, was it trying to play on the old VW Microbus thing? I, I mean, think so, a little bit, but it, it, definitely in a way that was not, like, it was obviously not a, a uh uh, you know, a recreation of the microbus just with new lighting and stuff. It was the the design itself had changed pretty dramatically. Okay, and you know, I heard one of the uh, one of the biggest parts of this whole thing that made it interesting was that uh, it, it's not going to support any kind of. It was designed without without the intent to support any kind of internal combustion engine. Right. So it's purely electric. Yep. And they're going. Full on with this and saying this is the way we're gonna we're gonna build this vehicle this platform mm-hmm. vehicle uh, and it's gonna be customizable of course we're gonna be able to kind of change things around but they've got an idea that right now it's gonna use it, it can use up to three different types of batteries right mm-hmm. so yes. there's three different types there's uh, the cylindrical pouch and prismatic cells and I think right now they're only using two of those they're using prismatic and pouch cells at this point mm-hmm. so haven't um, Decided yet on the cylindrical, but they say it gives them the flexibility to adapt to whatever becomes the forerunner in that field. Right. So with this approach, they can design any number of uh, vehicle structures, like whether it's a a car or a van or whatever. They can uh, go with that because of this modular approach. Uh, they just change out the size of the battery, the capacity of the battery, essentially, and uh, the size of the chassis, obviously. But uh, it gives them a common starting ground for lots of different uh, vehicle types. And the, the battery pack itself is flat and fits under the car. So you get this nice flat interior, which uh, 
made it incredibly roomy on the inside. Not that we were allowed to get in. Mm-hmm. No one was allowed to get very close to this thing, yeah. uh, at least at the time we were there. It's surprising, isn't it, how much how much room that frees up when it's a flat floor like yeah, that? Yeah, it is phenomenal, where it's just like, you just look at it and you think, wow, I... I would have so much room to stretch out and, you know, you could even have luggage in the, co- the, the cabin along with passengers and it wouldn't even get in the way. Yeah, you get in and it feels like an empty bus or something. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. And it has, uh, the, the buddy concept car had, uh, two motors, uh, two electric motors, one for the front wheels, one for the back. Um, supposedly had a uh, 101 kilowatt hour capacity battery that would provide a driving range of 373 miles. Although when asked about it, Volkswagen essentially said, actually, that's what we're working toward. That's our goal. We're not there yet. So they backed it down a bit. Yeah. Most people say around 300 miles max. Ah, now see, I saw a different number that said when they ran it through testing uh, based on the U.S. EPA cycle. So, you know, the way that they normally mm. determine for these electric vehicles, uh, the, the comparison mileage, I guess, or mm-hmm. the equivalent. They said the equivalent was going to be 233 miles uh, per wow. gallon. But that's, you know what, I should even say per gallon. That's the range. That's how long these batteries will last. Right. 233. So that's a significant drop from what they yeah. came out with it's, at the show. Yeah, more than, yeah. So when they say 373 and it goes to 233. That is significant. But what is interesting, and they didn't back down on this, is that they can charge 80% of the battery capacity in about 15 minutes. And that's pretty good. Yeah. If that that holds, if that sticks and that's true, that's really, that's a significant step forward. It's good. I don't know that it's good enough. Like, like... Tesla's idea about having not just the super fast charging stations, but also the uh, option to switch out a battery if you are on the go, that makes a lot of sense for people who are used to being able to pull into a gas station and refill in a couple of minutes. It does, but look how many gas stations there are. Yeah. I mean, there there are four on every corner. Yeah, that is true. That is you know, true. Well, no, I don't mean to. I don't mean to shoot you down no, on that no, idea or anything. It's, it's just the, the quick changing things. They can be far. They can be a lot uh, fewer and far between. I, I suppose. Yes. For the for the for the battery swaps, the the supercharger stations. However, I think those have to be uh, fairly common. Yeah. Because a Tesla right now, a Model S, the charge times. If you have a, a supercharger station, or I think that's what they call it, a supercharger station, mm-hmm. it takes you about one hour to fully charge the battery, and that's the three hundred mile range. But if you don't have a supercharger station, you're just relying on plain old electricity from the wall, a plug-in, yeah. uh, you get something like 22 miles of range for every hour of charging. So that's a, a significant drop in, uh, well, it's, a, it's an increase in the time that it would take sure. you to get somewhere. So, I mean, for VW to say 80% of battery capacity in 15 minutes, so what's 80% of 233 miles? That's pretty good. Yeah. No, that's it's is definitely significant. Uh, and, it, you know, they had some other cool features on this, including uh, big display screens that would replace your typical dashboard. So it, it was like a bunch of uh, almost like tablet-style t- computers, mm-hmm. um, plus gesture controls. Gesture controls were huge with cars this year. Yeah. That's, that's where you don't even have to touch the screen. You can move your hands at a certain height. And a uh, camera will detect the presence of your hand and then interpret that as a command. So you can swipe through options or select something by typically acting like you're pushing a button in midair. That tends to be the... <laughs> it's like you're playing uh, charades or something. Yeah. You know, I, I saw that uh, this is an infrared system, so it's kind of a cost-cutting measure on their part, because there are other ways to do it as well. Sure. Uh, but this one, they, they claim they're going to use infrared just to keep costs down. Now, again, this is not really meant to be a production model. Right. This is it's, strictly a show car. It's just really to show off the technologies that, that Volkswagen's been working with. 
uh, many of which may find their way into production vehicles uh, in the future, but not necessarily uh, the buddy itself. You're not going to find the buddy uh, on a on a show floor for you to purchase. No, it's just a rolling test bed at this point. In fact, I should say that, that I suspect at least a few of the vehicles on the showroom floor at CES are no more than a shell with nothing that actually makes the thing go. I think Faraday's like that, isn't it? I, I remember, I, I'm trying to remember back to our program, and I think that yeah. it's uh, it's not really on a powered platform at this point. It's all theoretical. Yeah. I, I do not know the answer to that to, to be able to say definitively one way or the other, but it would not surprise me. I'll tell you, that's not anything brand new, really. Um, show cars, even at the, the big auto shows in the past, mm-hmm. there have been many times when they have to be pushed out on the stage, yeah. or, or they have some just really low, low power module underneath. It's not like what they claim is under the hood. Right. Um, you know, it's just something just to get it out on the stage for the show, and that's about it. Uh, yeah. Never never look under the hood. I know that one of the Toyota fuel cell vehicles was like that, in that the chassis they were showing off was a concept, uh, but the car underneath it was not actually a fuel cell vehicle, whereas the fuel cell vehicle they had on display was using a modified Toyota previously existing Toyota model as the chassis. Yeah. So it's it, just one of those things where it's it's like we have the idea, we have the technology, we haven't gotten into production yet, so we don't have a, a model that actually works with the technology we're talking yeah. about fully fully formed. And that's not every case. I mean, there have been running, driving concept cars or what they call dream cars for, sure. for decades, of yeah. course, you know, since the beginning. But there were always those cases where they bring out some just crazy design that doesn't really have anything under the hood or anything. And, and it was kind of a big deal, again, back in the the late 80s and early 90s, uh, when companies started making running, driving production, uh, rather um, prototype vehicles, mm-hmm. um, all these concept cars, and it was kind of like this thing really drives like. I mean, it was the. Uh, I think I'm not going to say the first or anything, but I remember like hearing about the Viper. Right, the Dodge Viper, and they're like, well, "This thing actually drives. We can drive it on the Indianapolis 500 track." Yeah. And you're like, "No way! That thing it actually has a V10 engine. You know, they claim it did, but uh, it really did." Yeah, and uh, the Plymouth Prowler, and you know, vehicles yeah. like that along the way that you thought, "Man, you're these are cool all the cars. cars that I thought were awesome when I was younger." Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that's that's when that's kind of the resurgence of like, well, this thing actually does what we say it does. It's right. not it's not just a, a shell. Yeah, uh, there were some other. Cool technologies on display uh, to stick with a connected car and gesture controls. BMW uh, showed off their iVision Future Interaction Platform, which, again, is another network car. Uh, all those commands that you would I- issue to the car can be done by uh, touchscreen or by voice control or, again, by gestures. Um, and the steering wheel, actually, did you see the steering wheel on this thing? I did. With yep. the lights? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are three different modes of driving this vehicle. There's pure drive, where the vehicle is under the control of a human driver, well, at least presumably a human driver. A yes. driver. A driver. Could be a dog. Well, you would hope it would not be. <laughs> I um, suppose it could be at this point. Then there was assist mode, which was kind of where you have that autonomous ability to kick into gear should something go wrong uh, to protect the driver and the car. And then you had pure uh, autonomous mode or auto mode. And the steering wheel would light up to indicate which mode you were in. So if you were in auto mode, it would be blue. Uh, steering wheel, like uh, pretty much at the, um, you know, the the three and nine positions up would be blue, like up to the top. And then if you wanted to switch over to pure drive, the lights would start to fade down from the top to the sides 
uh, so that it would be an alert saying, hey, you should probably put your hands on the wheel now. Yeah, right about here where the blue light is. Yeah. So, so, And then before it would switch to pure drive mode, the lights turn red mm-hmm. to indicate, hey, seriously, take the wheel. I'm not in control anymore. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you something. Yeah. I got a major problem with this car. <laughs> this is kind of why you invited me here, isn't okay. it? Well, is it's this, one of their many. Is, this, reasons, the, is yeah. this the moment right here? Because well, this, this could be a moment. Let me, let me tell you. All right. This is the uh, so this is the BMW i8 yes. that they have modified. There's mm-hmm. no doors on this car. There's no hood on this car. Or yeah. I mean, roof on this car. Right. right. Um, but inside is where all this technology is happening. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's what their showcase is. They want you to have a clear, unobstructed view of that. So I get it. What I almost cannot believe I'm hearing from BMW, which, by the way, used to be called uh, the ultimate driving machine, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the ultimate driving machine. Now, here's what here's what this says. BMW's latest technology reduces the amount of driver control to a minimum in order to simplify driving, and driving can be stressful for some. And that's when it goes into the three modes. Right? Come on, this is part of the stuff that they that they're. You know, this is their message. Scott, at CES. Scott, I, I, I get it. There's I get a future it. that's coming, Scott. Uh, okay. All right. And we're all going there. Some of us are striding toward I, it. Some I get of us it. are screaming and digging our nails but, in. But <laughs> this company in particular, and I, I understand I understand that, you know, they have to keep up. They have to, they have to remain relevant. Sure. And I, I get that's why they're doing it. So I'm not yeah. I'm not that old that I don't understand that. <laughs> I really do. They have to remain relevant. They have to they have to sell product, right? Yes. So that's what they're doing. I get it. But for a company that that claims to be the ultimate driving machine, and they they are known for building cars that drivers really really enjoy, they they pay a premium mm-hmm. to drive a BMW because of the experience. It's a driver's car. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain vehicles you could expect that out of uh, Porsche as well. Uh, you know, you expect a certain experience when you get behind the wheel, and this is removing all that. You're just saying, I want the I want the brand name. I want it to be this i8 or whatever platform they put it in. Mm-hmm. But I don't really want to do anything. I don't want to experience that anymore. I'd rather just sit back and read a book, maybe, while I go to work. <laughs> Why not take the train? It's start, it sounds to me like a glorious future, but <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't see where the problem is, your honestly. Listeners, your listeners have come to expect this kind of rant from me. That's so That's good. Uh, but, that's but, why I get but, you on the show. But honest, <laughs> but, but honest, really, I mean... Really think about it. I mean, this is supposed to be a driver's car. It's, it's, it a, it's, an, uh, it's an odd move from this manufacturer. That's all I'm saying. Well, and, and to be fair, I mean, they do still have the pure drive mode where I think that's what they're relying on that to, to continue their, their kind of their slogan about the driving experience while still also investing in these technologies that if they don't really look into, they will literally be left behind. And I understand that not every vehicle is going to receive this type of treatment, and they've sure. got the, the rest of the product line. And if you look at BMW's page, uh, you'll see that they have a lot of different products that are, in fact, a lot of fun to drive. Did, did you did you happen to see the demonstration of their self-parking technology? Uh, mm. for, for the, all right, so, not, not for BMW. So BMW has shown off self-parking a couple times. Like, it's not like it's brand new. Except that this year, they showed off that they had a new way to interact with self-parking. Because usually you would get out of your car, you might have a button on your key fob that says park, and you would press it and the car would pull itself into a parking slot. Very impressive. You know, you, yeah, and you could even maybe, with something like Alexa, have voice control, where you could say, park the car, and then jump out, and it would park the car. That would be cool, too. BMW decided to go the air controller route 
but gesture controls. You can actually gesture to your car no way to take a to take a spot and to to move the car while you're outside of it to go and park. Really? Yeah, they actually showed off. They had journalists sit in the passenger side, no one in the driver's seat, have a BMW representative standing there gesturing to the car and to the parking space, and the car would maneuver over into the parking now, space. Now, I've got to ask you this. Do you have to have those flashlights with the cones on the end to do this? You, you know, don't like have one to hand? have them, but I think it presents a certain element of style. I absolutely would. Plus the uh, the, the giant earmuffs. <laughs> right, exactly. You, gotta, you know, the BMW engines can get loud. So <laughs> you want to be able to protect your ears. That is funny. But yeah, uh, so... Go wow, that's, that's, that's a shock to me. I, I, I'll have to seek a video of this because I've got to see somebody directing their car as if it's an airplane into a parking I, I spot. I think it was, uh, I want to say it was The Verge where I saw the video demonstration of this particular technology. Uh, I should go on to say, I didn't get a chance to see this personally. This was something that I saw after I got back. This is one of the most frustrating things about attending CES, is you get to see a lot of really cool stuff. But when you come back, you see all this really cool stuff that you didn't have a chance to experience yeah, yourself. There's, there's just no way. There's No, yeah, no there is absolutely no way. Yeah. Like Even if you spent every single second running from thing to thing, you would still miss stuff. Um, so next, we have uh, Kia, which... Normally, I, I think I wouldn't have even wouldn't have even registered with me. But again, Kia again moving on this this uh, same sort of autonomous car uh, bandwagon, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, introduced its DriveWise platform. Yeah, on the uh, Soul EV platform, right? So, yeah, uh, you know it's in a product that they currently build, mm-hmm. which makes sense. It's not like they're bringing out some concept vehicle that's a you know, pie-in-the-sky idea that right. maybe will never happen. They're saying, no, we're going to put it into our actual product. Right here's what, here, here's what we have available right now that it works in. Yeah. And so right now it's kind of a, a uh, advanced driver assistance system, or ADAS. It's one of those where, again, similar to what I was talking about with Toyota, with, with pretty much everybody, like it's this idea of uh, a computer assisting a driver normally just to intervene when there's something that the driver has not noticed or has uh, doesn't have the time to react to him or herself. So this is the partially autonomous system, right? Because, right. Because uh, they've got two release dates. Yes. Uh, this would be the earlier one. Uh, the earlier one, which is scheduled to debut in 2020. Yes. And then another a full 10 years beyond that. So in 2030 is when they're going to come out with the fully autonomous version. That's what they're projecting right now. I think, honestly, Scott, if I have to be, like, if you nailed me down, I'd have to say, I think a lot of these car companies are purposefully being conservative mm-hmm. with those guesses. I totally agree. Uh, I think I think certain companies that are not car companies, like Google, are really pushing the envelope as far as the autonomous car technology goes to the point where there will be enough demand from the consumer for some of those dates to get moved up. And I just think a lot of the car companies are trying to do two things. One, they want to make sure that they give themselves enough time to really develop the technology so that the vehicles they put out are safe. Nobody wants the autonomous car version of the clean diesel scandal, because that's a version where people will lose their lives. Yes. So obviously there's that. And I think the other one is just that there's this fear, a well-founded one, I would argue, that the autonomous car future is also going to be the future where fewer people own personal vehicles. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no argument from me on those points. I, I think that's really going to happen. I think a lot of people are going to jump on this and want that. And I think that manufacturers are kind of hedging their bets a little bit and saying, eh, 2030s when we're going to go fully autonomous, but I wouldn't be surprised if that date moves up by five years. Yeah, I mean, I, a long, long way. I it's agree. kind of that under-promise, over-deliver thing, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you don't want to say in 2017 we're going to have a fully autonomous line and it's going to be fantastic. And then 2017 rolls around, you look back at that news story, and then you, uh, you know, kind of, press Kia and say, well, where are the fully autonomous vehicles? And they have to kind of uh, put their, you know, head down and say, well, kick, you know, kick a rock D- and didn't say. Didn't quite work yeah, out. Yeah, you know, maybe in five more years. Yeah. Uh, and, it's and a bad spot to be in. I think I think part of it is also the idea that if you go with the driver assist route rather than the fully autonomous route, you can keep that culture of personal car ownership going longer, right? Mm-hmm. Because people will be interested in driving with these kind of vehicles it's when you go the fully autonomous route where one vehicle price gets so high that the average person starts to have trouble affording one. And two, there's less need to have one in densely populated areas. Yeah, Obviously, sure. in, in rural areas, that's a totally different story. But but in cities where you could presume presumably get uh, a service going with electric uh, – not even electric, but fully autonomous vehicles, um, then – there's very little reason to own your own vehicle. Now, now see, I, I totally understand that. There's a time and a place for this type yeah. of thing. And, and really, it does work in some situations. Other situations, there's just no way that it would work. There are certain people that, that this type of, uh, this type of idea, this car sharing idea, this, uh, um, even, even EV cars, mm-hmm. uh, at, at this point, the way they are right now wouldn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, no, it, but for a lot of people, they do, and it's a great thing. And and I I get the move to autonomous and people's excitement around it, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's ever going to go 100 percent either way. Yeah, I, I I used to be gung ho autonomous, but I've eased off on that a little bit just because I recognize there are I'm thinking of it too narrowly, right? I'm thinking of it from my perspective, my own personal experience of using vehicles. Uh, for me, it makes perfect sense pretty much all the time. But there are plenty of outliers that you would say, all right, well, no, personal ownership is never going to completely go away. Mm-hmm. Not as long as we still have people living outside of urban areas. and <laughs> Presumably, that's going to continue. Um, but to get back to Kia, I wanted to ask you this. Did you happen to look at their blind control system? No, I didn't see So that. it's a fingerprint scanner that identifies the driver and then... As you drive the vehicle, the vehicle begins to learn your style. And it learns what temperature you like to keep the car and what stations you tend to listen to and uh, and other ways that you actually handle the vehicle while you're driving it. And it builds a profile that's personalized to you. And then if someone else drives the car and scans their fingerprint, they get a profile. And then every time you drive the car afterward, when you scan, it knows it's you, automatically adjusts all those settings so that you get the driving experience you want and the other driver gets the driving experience they want. Now, there have been very analog versions of this along the way. You can uh, say this is uh, this is driver one, driver two, driver three. Yeah. And hit the button and the seat changes position, the steering wheel changes position, the temperature controls, the radio stations, all that. I get it, but this is doing it with uh, with fingerprint technology. Right. Um, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of the way that uh, houses, uh, smart houses can adapt to the way, you know, they know that at a certain time you come home from work and you want the temperature at a certain mm-hmm. setting. You want this light on, but not that one. Mm-hmm. And then later in the evening, 
turn that one off, turn that one on. And right. I, it starts to learn your patterns and, and things like that. And I, I can see these two things working together. It's like, uh, pretty soon you're just going to be able to walk, you're going to be able to walk through life without ever having to uh, push another button or flip another switch. Yeah. I've always, I've always mentioned this as, uh, you know, it'll come down to a conversation between you and another person about what's your reality like? Because here, here's what my reality is like, because everything is customizing itself to my convenience, my comfort, my preferences. So what's yours like? Because I bet you are a little different from me. And I'm curious what you, how you experience life compared to how I experience life. That's going to be a real conversation in a few years. That is strange, isn't it? That you yeah. won't have, you won't have the same environment that you, that you share really because everything will be so, uh, as you said, tailored, I guess, mm-hmm. to uh, custom fit to you. It's going to be so different. It's really, it's really weird to think like you, you won't have to, again, flip a switch. You won't have to do anything manually practically anymore. I do think smart thermostats are going to have to start seeking therapy. For families like mine, where <laughs> the preference is a, a matter of a couple of degrees, and it's it's hotly contested territory. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can understand that. Ours, uh, uh, the the switch on the side is almost worn out. Uh, yeah. you know, by the end of the the season. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same for us. Mm-hmm. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of: employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. 
Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So uh, we kind of mentioned Faraday Future already, and you guys, like I said, did a full episode on it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got some. I got a pile of notes here on this whole thing. So uh, you've you've seen this in person, though, yes. and I haven't. I've yeah. only read about it, and you know, kind of get the uh, the idea that some people thought it was really fantastic, and other reviewers went in and said this is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what they're doing bringing this car to the show because this has nothing to do with what the company's really what the, what their real message is here. Yeah, I, I well, it did it in a way, but it but it wasn't a good representation of what they're going to do. Right. So the representation is similar to what we were talking about with Volkswagen, this modular approach to building, designing and building vehicles, where you have a basic design that you can then modify for whatever purpose you need, whether it's a subcompact car, a, a, a race car, an SUV, a truck, whatever it might be, you can adjust the, the foundation. And then you have this modular battery system that allows you to add or remove batteries depending upon what vehicle it is that you're planning on building. So subcompact compact cars don't need as much battery power as, say, a race car. I think they called it strings of batteries, didn't they? Yeah. You can, you can adjust the, the size of the string of batteries that you put right. in these things. Yeah, and it, it, they had a cool video that sort of showed the concept from very high level. Uh, but I like the idea a lot because it allows for rapid development and prototyping. I mean, the, the car that they had on display... Did not exist 18 months ago. Yeah, it's a killer car, by the way. I the, love it. it. It looks like it's going fast while it's sitting still. Yeah, it's awesome. I really do like it. Good design. I, I, as soon as I, I'm not a, Scott, you know, I'm not a car guy. No. That's not me. I wanted to get behind the wheel of this car when I saw it. I was <laughs> and, just like. And you would be the only one able to do that because it's a single seat car. It's a race car. They, <laughs> so, you know, to, to drum up excitement, of course, yeah. they brought out the race car version. Yeah. It was, it was essentially a, a way of getting attention, right? First of all, the brand new company. This company has not been around for very long. Mostly mysterious. A lot of people had heard the name but didn't know a whole lot about it. It was getting most of its funding through China. So it's headquartered in Los Angeles, and it's going to have a manufacturing facility in Las Vegas. Uh, these were like the basic things that people knew, but no one had seen anything or really knew what, what was going on behind the scenes. Found out it was this approach to making electric vehicles. That's their specialty. Uh, taking this modular design so they could build any type of electrical vehicle. They have uh, different powertrain or drivetrain uh, uh, layouts they can do. So again, depending upon what your car needs, if it doesn't need a whole lot of power, then it's got a very simple drivetrain. If it's going to need a lot of torque for something where you're going to be hauling things or you're going to be driving like an SUV in, in rough areas, obviously they would have a different drivetrain than from a subcompact car. Sure, four motors instead of two or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had they they showed all the different variations where like there was one where it was like one motor attached to one wheel, and I was like, huh, okay, like a commuter car. That's yeah, what that would be little yeah. commuter car. Uh, so they also had uh, the ability. They said, well, our designs. One of the things we wanted to work in from the beginning was that if we wanted to make it an autonomous vehicle, we could add that onto the frame as well. Sure. So in other words. It's not automatically going to be an autonomous vehicle, but they have the option to make a any particular model they, they go into production with an autonomous version of that car. Sure, pretty simple thing in an all-electric vehicle, really. Yeah. So, really cool idea. Uh, and the race car, obviously, was just a way of saying, come and take a look at what we have to show you. 
And it worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> now, but, but the problem was when they started interviewing the people that uh, you know brought this technology out on the stage, the ones that were conducting you know the the press conference. Yeah. When they really started drilling down and asking a lot of questions, here's here's the thing they got. They got a lot of. Uh, well, we don't really know the answer to that yet, but just trust us. It's going to work yeah. out. Everything's going to be fine. We we know that we can achieve this. It's just right now we don't have the solution. You this know, that kind of answer. It's a very much an Internet startup approach. And yeah. it's an Internet startup approach to an industry that has uh, very deep roots and a very, very high barrier to entry. In fact, I would say Faraday Future would have had zero chance of success were it not for a little company called Tesla. Sure, yeah. But you can look at other examples that, that people immediately go to, and, and we've heard this from our listeners on Car Stuff as well. Um, you know, it, it, this looks an awful lot like uh, something like an Elio, or mm. even if you want to go back farther, uh, Tucker, sure. or uh, um, Dale. Dale. Now, Dale's a different scenario because that was a just complete scam all around. Right. I mean, there, there's no way around that one. Yeah. But, but the others... Tucker and uh, and Elio and there's been others throughout time as well that have done this, but they bring a real product out. They show you the real product and they say all we need is X million do- number of million dollars uh, to get the first you know uh, production run, first right. batch of production out there, right. and then from that point. You know, we can we can you know take them out and we'll say be well, we can sustain Yeah, we can sell you a dealership and you can sell these products and then we can yeah create more cars and that's mm-hmm. the way the whole thing works. But They've got to get over that initial hump. And, yeah. and this one, now, they've got a huge uh, backing, right? They've got a lot of money yes. available to them. That doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Anyone who has backed a Kickstarter for any kind of technology uh, has probably had the experience at least once of backing something that never, ever came to fruition. And whether it was due to someone trying to pull a scam or someone... Uh, underestimating the challenges they would face taking an idea from the concept stage to production or whatever it may be. You always encounter things that you did not anticipate when you first set out. Uh, A lot of people have experienced this disappointment in something that they backed not actually coming out. And that's a possibility. Uh, the nice thing is, it's someone else's money in the case of Faraday Future, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, like in the case of Elio Motors, that's a, that's the most recent one you know, that we've we've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, you know people are sending in you know hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, five hundred dollars, or whatever as kind of a down payment, a deposit, with the idea that that's starting the company, and that you know when they uh, do start producing them, they're going to get uh, first pick. You know, they're going to get the first production run. Uh, you know, they get little they get little things along the way. You know, some yeah. little incentives, I guess, for doing that, whether it's bumper stickers or. T- T-shirt or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, but that company, the hurdle for that company is something like two hundred and fifty or three hundred million dollars, and that's what it would take to get that company to start producing cars right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably some other things too at this point because some time has passed. But, sure. But this one, this is all being funded by one individual, and it's it's the. <laughs> I, I laugh when I see this, but it's the Chinese version of Steve Jobs. Yeah. That's what the, that's how he's described. Now he, he has he's the founder of. Uh, I guess the Chinese version of Netflix over there, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's got a lot of money, this guy. He's a billionaire. But he's not going to throw all of his money behind this whole thing, of course. He's sure. going to put some money behind it. But he's got deep pockets. Yeah. Is this going to make it? Because they're talking about putting a factory in, It's a, again, a billion-dollar facility north of Las Vegas. Yeah. They're going to break ground on that. I believe it was at the end of this month, if not next month. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's happening soon. 
do you really see this thing going anywhere? Do you think they're going to do it, or are they going to come out you know, the, the week before and say, like, well, there's been a delay, and we're going to do it um, at the end of this year? Uh, without having seen any of the actual in, inner workings of the company, it's really hard for me to say. I can say I want them to, to succeed so badly simply because I think it could be a truly disruptive approach to the automotive industry – and by disruptive, I don't mean like a dangerous thing or a destructive thing, but rather something that shakes stuff up enough that we start seeing crazy innovation across all manufacturers. That's what I want to see. And I want to see, I want to see all boats rise. Like I don't have a grudge against any particular company. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely wag my finger at Volkswagen uh, for the clean diesel thing, <laughs> but but it's it, you know that's more of a a emotional reaction to to that scandal. But I want to see everybody benefit, um, and I I would hate to see this be an example of an internet startup that got a lot of hype and then collapsed in on itself. Now, see, Ben and I had a similar thought on our show when we talked about it on Car Stuff. We said. You know, we really want, we, we truly do want them to succeed. This would be fantastic for development, as you said. You know, mm-hmm. it would it would push things along considerably. But it, it, with all the examples, the history that we've had, that we've we've seen and we've talked about on our show so many times, it's like you can you can remain hopeful, but be skeptical also. Yes, there, you know, there's good reason, good reason to employ critical thinking. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, this thing may or may not end up being kind of vaporware, but. Uh, it, I hope not. I'm, yeah. re- I'm really hoping for the best in this case. I want a ride in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, again. Faraday Future, if you're listening, I want a ride well, in that's your a, car. Again, that's something we didn't mention. That's that's their race car version. That's like yeah. the top-end thing that they can produce. But, yeah. but the reality is they're road testing a vehicle right now that no one's seen. Yes. They, they've got a secret car that's out there testing somewhere. Yes. Yeah, so if you see a car go by you that you don't recognize and there's no marking on it, that might be them. Yeah, it could be them. So they're out there somewhere testing this platform. And yeah. you, you never probably know. somewhere in California or Nevada. Yeah, probably. Guess. Yeah, yeah, it seems like those states are, are uh, you know, a little more loose with their, uh, you know, um, allowances, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I would be interested to see what they're going to come up with for the production vehicle and mm. will it kind of be like a, uh, a what's that sad trombone moment you know like yeah. when you see it uh versus the the race car that they showed at the CES show i mean right. it's 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 like uh you know it's good that they did that to to get the excitement behind so, the brand. Sort of like they promised you this but they gave you this yeah. that kind of thing yeah. well kind of yeah i mean yeah. It, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be just a little bit disappointed. Like, oh man, I was really hoping for that single seater, the FS zero one concept. That, that that car that probably would have cost around three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I mean, it's like a Batmobile or something. Yeah, it's so it's, cool. It's pretty wicked. Yeah, like, it really is. The people on the floor, they were saying that they they preferred to think of it as the car out of Minority Report. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, I could see yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you know. There's another one that you wanted to mention yes, today. The, the last one, the I, cherry on top of this Sunday. Yeah, and this one uh, leaves me with my head shaking. I I, I understand uh, what this this uh, this builder does. This is Rinspeed. Yes, Rinspeed, and the vehicle we're talking about, the concept at any rate, is the Etos. Yeah, and uh, also we should mention the Etos is actually a BMW i8 based concept car. Of course, yeah. So the the latest, greatest from BMW, yeah. but what they've done with it. 
I don't know. I don't know if I understand everything that they're trying to achieve with this car. But <laughs> I'm not sure they understand uh, everything Rin- they're trying Rin- to achieve. With I mean, Rinspeed's done a lot of cool concepts in the past, yeah. and you know they've got sure some of them have some questionable features and things. But when I look at this one, the Etos, yeah, it's got a lot of questionable features. So uh, yeah, let's talk about some of them. For one thing, uh, the interface that they have uh, is is encased in two twenty-one and a half inch curved four K displays. Yeah. 4K resolution. Scott, I, I, I mean, granted, you are pretty close to those displays when you're a driver, right? I yeah. mean, it's not that far away from you. And in fact, 4K resolution is insane to me because those displays would need to be enormous and you'd have to be even closer to appreciate the, the sharpness in that resolution. Sure. I can't believe 4K is necessary when 1080 would have sufficed. <laughs> However. That's nitpicking. Uh, so let's say that you're driving this this crazy concept, uh, this this variation on the BMW i8. Uh, you're driving around, and you're you've got this nice steering wheel. It's got its own little panel right in the middle of it, and you think, oh, I'm going to hand over control to my car. You press a little button, the steering wheel folds in on itself, Scott. Yeah. And then it retracts into the dashboard. Yeah, so it goes away. Yeah. So that okay, that's okay, that's one of the things <laughs> that left me shaking my head. Like most of these systems, even, even most of them recognize the idea that there's going to be a point when human interaction is probably going to be necessary, and we're going to alert you with a chime or lights, as you said on the uh, yeah. uh, the one steering wheel. Was it the, again the BMW, BMW i8, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most manufacturers still get that, that, you know, there, there's going to be a point where you're going to want to take control, or the car will say, I don't know if I can handle this, grab the wheel. Right. Pshaw, says Ridden Speed. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's, a, I mean, I watched it happen in the video, yeah. in the video clip, and it's not a fast motion for it to come back out. I love it. It's, it's I cool. Love it. it is cool. It's cool. It looking. is not I mean, practical at all, Scott, it's, but it's, I love it. It's interesting to watch. Yeah. And, but the idea also of a folding steering wheel, that's another thing that makes me cringe just yeah. a little bit. You know, that's, yeah. a, that's not a great design, really. Yeah. The, the two, the, if you think of a wheel, think of it, uh, divide the wheel in half and, uh, the top half and bottom half fold down along the column, the steering column, and the whole thing retracts back into the dashboard so that you are freed up to read a book. Essentially, like. it looks like the uh, like the passenger side of the vehicle at that point, yeah. really. It really and, does. And the two displays it, extend forward so that you can get more immersed in whatever tech, you know entertainment like you've got you, playing on your dashboard. You can get a lot closer to that 4K, uh, yeah, 4K screen. Yeah, you can screen. appreciate it a lot more when it's when it <laughs> when, uh, when it approaches you by five inches. Yeah, when it's eight inches uh, away from your eyes. Or something. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and the, the other thing now, uh, this just kind of made me laugh in the video. I, I don't know why this was was featured in here, but mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple things more. But um, when when they were showing the autonomous capability, yeah, they had the the car at a track in Spain, a racetrack in mm-hmm. Spain. And they clearly had a, a time, you know, a lap time, a lapse time from a um, a human driver yes. on the screen. So it's, yep. it's got, you know, an interface that allows you to record lap times. And it's really cool, a map of the track and everything. Mm-hmm. Best, you know, kind of a best time with a little award, you know, a, a, a silver cup or whatever. Yeah, it's almost equivalent to like a video game, except this is a real car that you're driving around a real track. Yeah, sure. And we've seen that stuff, you know, in other cars. We get that, you know, they've got stuff like that, you know, they can sure. measure times and uh, speeds and all that. But... This one was showing like, okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let the autonomous uh, feature take over and drive around this racetrack in Spain, and then that's when the driver decided to grab a book 
from the uh, right. from what looks like a bookshelf on the passenger side. Right. And they, they, that thing was always loaded with books. Yeah. So while they're driving around this racetrack in Spain, the driver's reading a book. Now I know that's to prove a point that yeah. he's not touching the wheel, that there's no interaction there. But the car, of course, bested the human driver's time. Yes. You know, the car was much faster, or a little bit faster, anyways. But I, I just thought that was so odd to see him doing that. You know, like to, to be on a racetrack of all places. I can get if you're on a boring commute or Scott, something. Scott. Clearly, he was trying to psych out the robot car <laughs> to show how how little interest he had in the robot car's performance. I thought you were going to say other drivers competing against, like, uh, well, I'm just going to let it take over. Yeah, like, like but, I'm just going to I'm going to read my Kafka here. But you, but you get my point, though. I mean, <laughs> of all places, you're going to want to see. I mean, you're just going to want to pay attention and watch yeah. what's going on because it's exciting, it's thrilling. It's not like you're just going, you know, between downtown Atlanta and and home. You sure, know? it's nothing Which, like that. Let's be fair. Can sometimes be exciting. <laughs> it can uh, be. Yeah. Uh, it also uses Microsoft's Cortana concierge service. So this is similar to Ford and Alexa. Uh, Cortana, I would argue. Well, I mean, I, I've used Cortana a little bit because I've got Windows 10 on my computer at home, and Cortana is incorporated into Windows 10. Sounds fancy. I've used it a little bit, uh, but I'm still very much a keyboard and mouse kind of guy. So I don't tend to talk to my computer unless. Something has gone wrong, and the words I'm saying are not words that a concierge is going to help me with. <laughs> I talk to my laptop here at work all the time, and uh, boy, I'm glad it can't record what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, that's a good good thing. Wait, it can't, can it? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, good. Uh, at least, unless some malware has been put on there. But the, <laughs> the real reason we had to add this, besides all the ridiculous autonomous car features and, and the fact that uh, Cortana is incorporated, is that... This particular car also has a landing pad on the back of it for a DJI drone. Yeah, this was uh, probably the biggest head-scratcher for me. What is the point of that drone? Well, the drone can fly along while you're driving and take video of you driving your really kick-ass BMW i8 concept car. Well, I agree that is a cool thing to be able to do. I get it. (laughs) You don't necessarily need to have a landing pad and a uh, a matching drone, I guess. You could just get one at Toys R Us or something, right? Or at the local hobby store. Uh, But they did show it to something that was kind of cool. Now, in the video... It's kind of a, a silly setup, right? I mean, yeah, it's a, a male female. Uh, females flying the drone in some kind of looks like they're in a warehouse or something. Yeah, it's a big circular room where there's a there's a staircase that's on the the internal curved wall that goes up. So some very weird looking space yeah, where the car is parked in the center of it. But it's open to the uh, to the air, yes. I guess. You know, there's an open top. Yeah. So the guy climbs back into the car. And the car alerts him, hey, it's Valentine's Day. Wouldn't you like to get some roses for your wife? Yeah, and then he just says the word roses. And that sends a signal to the drone that the woman is currently controlling yeah. with, a, with a remote control. And the drone ends up going into auto mode and flies off, sending the woman into a uh, fit. A fit, yes. She is quite upset that she has lost control of this. <laughs> and she she confronts her husband, who... Takes off his glasses, his sunglasses, puts one uh, one stem of the sunglasses in his mouth and shrugs as if to say, hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, things happen. And then they go down the stairs to get into their autonomous sports car of the future when the drone returns with a bouquet of roses that yeah. have, it has picked up from a delivery service. It was like a like a messenger drone, right? It, it, it went out and it's, it, it sought 
the uh, the nearest florist, which was, I believe, on the screen, it said four point one miles away. Yeah, something like that. A long, long distance. So it went out, got them, uh, or no, it was uh, four minutes away. Yeah, four and a half minutes. Four away, and a half minutes, yeah. right? So he attaches a, a bouquet of roses, and uh, it brings them right back to her, and yeah. uh, everything is just great everything smoothed that over at that point. She gives yeah, yeah. him a hug. Her her one foot comes off the ground, you know, yeah. in, in classic hug pose. Just truly, uh, touch. I had it. I had a tear yeah, at that point. It, I felt something. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a funny video to watch. I, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it was, I think it's, ridiculous is probably too strong a word. It's certainly whimsical. Yes. Let's say whimsical. Yeah, That's you know, nice. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's worth watching. It's, it's interesting to the see. The video is, well, and also as proof of concept of certain technologies, it's really cool. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think that the autonomous approach, as as awesome as this automated thing where the steering column retracts into the dashboard, as awesome a visual as that is, I don't think it's terribly practical for one thing. It's a couple of different points of failure in a system that doesn't need any points of failure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anything goes wrong and then you switch to manual and something, some connection has been severed as a result of this process, that's bad. Uh, but... Uh, I did think that the whole thing was very fun, and I like the approach, like the forward-thinking <laughs> nature of the the video was was really cool. And forward-thinking, that's like that tattoo I can see on your neck. Yeah, you know, it's, well, is that new? It's how they track me. Um, so yeah, at any rate, this was this was a lot of fun to talk to you about the technology that was on display at CES. Uh, obviously, very different from the underlying technology that actually makes cars work. You know, we're not talking necessarily about motors or, you know, uh, transmissions or that kind of stuff. No, this is all add-on stuff. It's like, uh, how can I make an app uh, make that system better? And and again, like smart TVs, I think we're finally starting to see that idea mature to a point where it is something that could be marketable, as opposed to, well, we have the ability to throw this in there. Let's just do it. And, and I, I think I, we're maturing as well. Baby steps, Scott. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Let's, let's not set our expectations too high for me. Um, so, at any rate, uh, if you guys want to hear the Faraday Future podcast, you got to go check out Car Stuff because you and Ben cover that. And uh, make sure you listen to that episode. You guys go into a lot more detail about the whole uh, the whole process there. We do excruciating detail. That's the best kind. <laughs> and uh, and thank you again for appearing on my show. Scott. Oh, of course. well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, it's always a fun conversation. It always feels uh, feels I don't know feels easy. You know? Yeah, yeah. I there. I don't think there's anyone here. That uh, it's particularly difficult to jump into a podcast studio and talk, but uh, it, it sure is nice to have that experience, right? Where you go in and you sit down and you're like, we're just going to talk about crazy car technology for an hour. Essentially what this was today. I mean, I had a few notes, but uh, man, it was just kind of winging it. And yeah. honestly, I, I like having your insight that you were there at the show, too, to be able to kind of come back and report on what you've seen and, and how that differs from you know some of these uh, some of these. Uh, reviews, I guess, of, sure. of the products. It's, it's so much different when you talk to somebody who has firsthand experience. Yeah, when you when you have a chance to actually witness stuff with your own eyes, and not only that, but just gauge interest on the floor. Like, are people reacting with skepticism? Are they reacting with like oohs and ahs? 
it's really cool to get that that first person experience. Oh yeah, it's very helpful that you uh, you went there and checked everything out for us. Yeah, can't wait to do it again next year. Oh, <laughs> I need to rest. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Tech Stuff. If you have suggestions for future episode topics, guests, guest hosts, anything like that, you should let me know. The email address you should use is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or let me know on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.